dive in. As we, we go into the sermon today, we are continuing in a series of sermons based on the sermon preached by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's found in Matthew 5 through 7 in your Bible. We will be starting chapter 7, like right at verse 1 today. And so if you want to flip there, you can in, in print or digital, whichever version your Bible is. We encourage you to, to use your Bible. Um, we'll put the words up on the screen if you don't have it, but we think it's good for you to see it in your own Bible. Um, we are working through a, a series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount. And right, this is something that has takes up three pages in your Bible, just takes a few minutes to read through, and we have been blowing through it at the blistering pace of three months so far. Um, so we are much more efficient communicators than Jesus, and uh, just a little bit of sarcasm there. Um, no, but I have loved walking through this, and hopefully it's been insightful for you, because what we see in this series that we've titled Stranger Things, and it's based loosely on the Netflix sci-fi series of the same name that, that follows um, some Indiana boys that grow up in an Indiana town um, on some Indiana nights. No, that was Tom Petty. Uh, but... <laughs> No, it follows the, this group of kids in the 80s that discover a parallel dimension to our own that they call the upside down. And in the upside down, things look very similar to our world, except everything is evil. Right? If you can imagine things operating horribly in our world, that's what the upside down is. And it's a really neat analogy, because in the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus offering up a parallel reality to our own. Only it's not a different dimension that we connect to through weird means. What he's describing is an alternate reality that exists right here in our own world. And in fact, we live in a world that is upside down, that does not function the way it was intended to function. That God had an original intention for our world, and we broke that. Yet, there is an invitation from Jesus and through him to live in a world that is right side up in the midst of an upside down world. And that right side up world is called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where we see our world working in harmony with God's will, working the way that it was designed to work. And Jesus invites people to live in that kingdom here in the midst of an upside down world. And the way that we access The kingdom of God is through Jesus by becoming disciples who live and follow with him and his teachings. So as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, every week we have been confronted with a different way that Jesus invites us to live opposite from our world, to live in the kingdom of God. And the passage that we're going to look at today is no different But I would also recognize that the passage that we're going to look at today, the 12 verses that we're going to look at, can be a little bit confusing and can be a little bit hard to understand and may actually have some baggage with them, even if you didn't grow up in church. And the reason that you might have baggage with them is because they're very common words, right? You don't have to be someone who is in the church to hear what we are going to hear today. You may not have heard it in totality But you have heard things that are going to be said today in the word of God. And I think that's a testament to the power and the significance of Jesus of Nazareth. That 2,000 years later, we are still being influenced by things that he said. 
What's not so great is that while we're still being influenced by it, there's a lot of ways that what he has said doesn't really match the way that we live it out. There are things that that we have brought into our culture that have made their way into our subconscious, but they're not really a match with what Jesus may have intended. And so as we work through some of this stuff, I want us to rethink a lot of what we're going to hear. Because I think it's really important for us to hear this with some fresh ears. Some of what we're going to read today, there's a few verses that may be the reason that you have given up on faith altogether. And I want to say that if that's you, whatever your journey is, that I understand. And I completely get it. And I understand how you may be at a place where the words of Jesus that we're going to look at may have led you to not want anything to do with faith or religion altogether. And so I really do think it's important that we're going to talk about these, and I I think it's important that we see it for what it is, the way that Jesus communicated it. And so to give you the big picture before we look at all the pieces, I just, want, I just want to give you the big picture that Jesus is going to use to frame up what we're going to say. And then everything we look at, I want us to try and see it through this lens. Because I think if we can see it through the lens that Jesus is setting up, we might find a completely different set of teachings by Jesus. Right? What Jesus is proposing in the, the first 12 verses of chapter 7 is that to be a disciple, to be a a person of the kingdom of God, to live in the kingdom, is to be a person of discernment, to be a person of nuance and, and critical thinking. And to have discernment and nuance and the ability to think critically about things is not only a part of being a disciple, but it is a necessity for us to have healthy relationships with other people. This is not just a a, a pie-in-the-sky, far-off ideal teaching of Jesus. This is about our relationships with other people and our relationship with him. And if we are not people who are able to think critically and have discernment, we are not people who can fully grasp the message of Jesus. We, We are cut off from some of his greatest blessings in our life. And so that's what we're going to look at. Every piece of this, how does that fit into the vision that Jesus is casting of being people who possess the ability to discern and think critically, to see nuance, to recognize gray area? So let's dive in. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Right? Matthew 7, 1. That has become an ethos, a mantra of our culture, right? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. That is like, that is the creed by which people live. Not all people, but there's a lot of people. That is a guiding principle of their life. That is the teaching of Jesus that has been latched onto, and if we don't take it within the context of all the verses around it, with the context of the greater Sermon on the Mount, it's easy for that to become a principle that we use to guide our entire life that becomes inconsistent with the actual teachings of Jesus. 
right? What it leads to is this idea that, that I can't think anything negative about anything anyone does. It invites us into a world of moral relativism where there is no truth, there is no standard upon which to judge anything, and, and I don't know what is right or wrong. And Jesus is not actually saying that. Right? Let's step back and let's look at what that word judge means. Right? In our culture today, the word judge, it carries the, the connotation of condemnation. Right? To judge something is to condemn it. If you were to go back just 100 years in English, though, that's not the only thing that the word judge means. Right? Not even going all the way back to Jesus' day. Let's just look at what the word judge means. What are judges? What is the function of a judge? A judge is someone who's supposed to listen, evaluate, think critically, interpret, and find meaningful application, not just so that people may be condemned, but so that innocent people might be protected. So that justice and rightness would be preserved in this world. That word judge, it doesn't mean just to condemn. It means to celebrate justice. And if we go back even further to the world that Jesus is in, if we look at that word that he uses and the way that he uses it with the other words around it, do not judge is not the best interpretation for 21st century Americans to hear. A better way to phrase it would be, do not evaluate poorly. Or people may evaluate you poorly. Right? What Jesus is saying is not, do not make a fair assessment of something. Right? There are things that are bad or good. What he's saying is that the way that God has set up this world is that if you want to live in the kingdom, if you want to live the life that God has designed for you, you can't evaluate things poorly. Because the way this world works is that you reap what you sow. And so if you are constantly evaluating things poorly, if you're not thinking critically, if you're not discerning, you will find yourself quickly in the position of other people not evaluating you correctly. If you can never see nuance in something, if you can never try to understand the intentions of someone, you will quickly find yourself in a position where no one is trying to understand your intentions where people are jumping to judgments about you. And so don't be someone who jumps to judgment of something else. Right? If, if you are a person that, that can't, if you can't think critically, if you can't see nuance, you will find yourself quickly condemned, judged by others. You will find yourself in a world full of people who don't listen to each other. A world full of people that, that will attach themselves to to polarizing ideologies and buy into them so much that, that they don't listen to each other and they hold each other in contempt and maybe they just scream and yell at each other on Facebook. Sound familiar? Jesus is saying, this is the opening, this is his thesis for the next time we've got together. Don't be someone who jumps to judgment. Be someone who thinks critically and wants to discern truth about good and bad. You have to do this. And then he gives some examples to back it up. 
verses three through five. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is setting up a situation that would have been really familiar to him, right? Son of a carpenter who had brothers. You've got two brothers that are in a wood shop. And they're working, and one guy has a speck of dust in his eye, and the other one has a plank. And obviously Jesus is being exaggerative for humor purposes and to make a point. But, like, you've got this picture of these two guys, and one has a giant piece of wood sticking out of his eye and the other one has a speck and and Jesus is saying don't point out that speck when you've got this giant plank in your own eye right and what we can take that to mean if we just take it at face value and read it the way that our culture would want us to without thinking critically about it or putting it in the context of what Jesus has said that we are to be people of discernment It's easy to think, again, Jesus is saying that unless you are a perfect person, you cannot say anything bad about anything else. Not just you can't say anything bad, you're not allowed to think that anyone else has done something bad or that there might be something flawed in their character if you yourself are not perfect. The problem with that is if that is what Jesus is saying, he's either an idiot who does not know how to keep consistent thoughts throughout his message or he's not actually saying it. Because if you read the sermon, Jesus makes judgments about things being good or bad, about people being good or bad. Jesus tells his disciples to make evaluations, whether people or things are good or bad. The very next verse, Jesus makes a distinction of good people and bad people. Jesus, when he sends his disciples out, he tells them to discern whether certain people are good or bad people, whether they are the people that want the kingdom of God in their life or not. Jesus is not saying that you are not allowed to think critically and evaluate whether something is good or bad. What Jesus is saying is that when you are going to make a critical evaluation, you need to be really, really careful. Because your role is not God who condemns. That's not your job. Right? The the situation that he's set up is not one of the master craftsmen who finds the young idiot apprentice doing something wrong. He describes two brothers that are working side by side. And so what Jesus is saying is not that the speck isn't a problem. The speck is a problem. That's not good for that guy's eye. But before you go pointing out the speck, you need to recognize that you yourself are a flawed human being who is not God. Your role is not to be judge, jury, and executioner in the life of the people around you. Your role is to be a brother or sister who wants something better for your friend. Right? And that's a completely different way of looking at every situation. That is a nuance that is hard for a lot of us to see. Right? It requires us to, to critically think and make a distinction in our heads, sometimes between actions and people. Right? Maybe, maybe that is a bad action 
That is not a good thing to do. That doesn't make her a bad person. Maybe it's, it's going another step further and saying, maybe they are a bad person, right? Maybe their intentions are bad, but that doesn't make me God who gets to decide what their fate is, right? And so in those circumstances, maybe we should not try to send them to hell, which we're not able to do, but instead we should hope for a better future for them. Jesus is not saying you can't recognize mistakes. You can't recognize brokenness. What he's saying is that when you do recognize it, you approach it with humility and self-awareness and a hope for a better future for your fellow man. When we see mistakes, when we see brokenness, when we see wrongdoing, our response is not to condemn, to accuse. Our response is to meet it with love and mercy and compassion. Right? Imagine this. There's an issue that you recognize in a friend or a family member or a coworker or whatever. There's somebody that, that you recognize. This is not good. You have two approaches. You can go as, as the person who is ready to condemn, and you just need to tell them the truth. Right? Honey, I just need to tell you the truth, and then proceed to tell them everything that you've observed that is wrong in their life. How does that one go, married folks? No, the other way is you come and you say, hey, listen, I, I want you to hear me. I, I've got stuff in my own life. And, and so this is nothing about pointing fingers. Uh, but I've just learned that, you know, when I see stuff that is broken, that, that I, need, I need to work on it because I want a better life for me and the people that are in my life. And, and I care about you. And I want a better life for you too. And, and so, again, this is not me me accusing you or thinking little of you. I just, I want you to be aware of this because I think it's an opportunity that, that your life might be better. That sounds completely different. Both acknowledge that something is wrong, but one is seeking to win over a friend and the other one is God who knows everything. And so Jesus is saying that, yes, you have to be a person who distinguishes good from bad. You have to be a person of discernment. But you also have to be a person of humility that sees people around you as peers, not as subjects. So is he saying just go along and be a doormat for anybody in your life? No, absolutely not. Verse 6. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, let's just acknowledge that's a little confusing. Okay, like for one verse, it's really easy when you're reading that by yourself to think, what on earth is that? Um, We don't have time to go into all the little nuances and all of the different interpretations that have been offered throughout the last 2,000 years of Christian study. But we can say pretty safely right now, calling someone a dog or a pig is not a nice thing to do, correct? Right? If someone, if we think of them in their minds as a dog or a pig, they're probably not a great person. It's really not a good thing to be if you were a first century Middle Eastern Jew. Okay, in the Middle East, even still today, dogs are just dirty, disgusting animals that nobody wants anything to do with. 
People from the Middle East do not get the pet culture of America. If you're a Jewish person, even still today, pigs are not good things to be associated with. God has said they're unclean. You're supposed to stay away from them. And so Jesus is saying these are people that are not good people. These are not people that you want to be associated with. And he's talking about what is holy, what is sacred, and pearls that are genuinely associated with wisdom or treasure, things that are very, very valuable. And Jesus is saying that while you are a person who is self-aware and humble and is discerning and wants to meet everyone around you with mercy and love and compassion, you also need to be aware that there are people with whom you must exercise caution. There are circumstances in which the most gospel-centered thing you can do is not speak. Right? There are people who do not want the kingdom of God to be made manifest in their life. They don't have kingdom values. They're not in a place to receive whatever truth it is that's relevant to their life, and they really might not want to receive it from you. And so while you might have something true that is, that is noble, that is honorable, that is Jesus-based, dispersing that truth in the wrong way might be at best ineffective at worst, something that turns on you and blows up in your face. And so part of following Jesus and having relationships with other people is recognizing, when do I speak? When do I stay silent? I don't have to change the principles that guide how I live, but maybe I need to adjust how I live out those principles in front of my neighbors based on who they are and what their circumstance is. Right? There are certain people that I should not empower with, with unending mercy and compassion in my world. Sometimes the most loving thing that I can do to a toxic or abusive or manipulative person is to create some boundary and distance in my life with them. Not just for my own sake, but for the sake of the gospel and their health. So Jesus is not just giving a blanket statement that says be walked all over by everyone. He's saying, as a person of discernment, recognize. What are your blind spots? What are the areas where you have fallen short and you need to not be proud? You need to see yourself on the same level as your brother or sister. And also exercise caution. And recognize the areas where where the best thing you can do is to be more reserved. What do we do with all that? That's not easy stuff. Jesus continues with four verses, and I'll read these verses, and then I want to say just a little bit about them. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And this is a little bit of what I was talking about earlier. These four verses, I, they may be some of the most misused words of Jesus ever. And I just want to say as a pastor, 
If you have a, a negative or harmful view of yourself or God because of how this passage was explained to you by another pastor or spiritual leader in your life, I'm sorry. Right? I didn't, I didn't do that, but I want to own it as much as I can. Because it's really easy for these verses to become some of the most discouraging and confusing and troubling verses about God that we have. Right? If, if I don't look at the bigger context of what Jesus is saying, if I'm not critically evaluating it, if I'm just taking it at face value and, and allowing other influences to, to fill how I see this, it is really easy to have some very distorted thoughts about who God is and who you are. Right? It's easy to think from this that God is a jukebox or a vending machine. Right? And, and so I just ask for whatever greatest hit I want to hear. Uh, I put in my coins. I pray certain things. I push the buttons. And he pops out whatever it is that I've asked for. Right? Clearly God says, he's good. He loves me. Wants to give good things to his kids. So I just ask for whatever it is I want and he'll give it to me. Which sounds really great until you have a sincere heartfelt prayer that isn't answered. Right? If you have somebody in your life that, that is battling sickness or disease and is not getting better, you ever prayed for the life of your own child? You have prayed for somebody that is battling addiction or mental illness? What do you do when God doesn't just give what you ask for? Those are not bad things to ask for. And where that can lead you is that maybe God doesn't really care. Maybe Jesus isn't who he says he is. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe prayer is pointless. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe if I just had more faith, if I really just believed more, if I said it differently, if I had a different posture when I said it, all of these reasons that, that if I could just do these certain things, then God would act, but, but maybe he doesn't love me as much as he loves somebody else. And that is not what Jesus is saying here. What I think we need to see more than anything is that Jesus doesn't give any qualifications for who gets answered. Right? Jesus isn't talking about the person who asks more, the person who asks louder, the person who asks more earnestly, the person who has the better moral performance before they ask. All he says is that God loves each of his children the same. And I don't want to pretend that, that if you have ever experienced unanswered prayers, that, that there's some magic easy answer that makes those okay to process. I'd be lying if I did. Right? God is not a jukebox who works at our command. He's also not someone that can be explained with some greeting card saying, like, God answers prayers with yes, no, or not right now. Or maybe you weren't asking for the right thing. Or, or whatever senseless thing somebody may have told you in the situation where you are praying earnestly for something that is not being answered the way that you think it should. What Jesus is saying here, again, in the context of being people who think critically 
and discern. Jesus is saying, God is good. And you need to know that because living with discernment, living in the kingdom of God, living out kingdom values is not easy. Jesus is not promising a way out of suffering, a way out of difficulty. Jesus is saying that life is difficult. Life loving your enemies. Life life living out integrity. Life discerning good and bad is hard. Okay, not only do you have to discern whether it's good or bad, but then you're stuck with figuring out what's the right course of action, right? Maybe I know what's right and wrong, but I don't know what the best way to do this is. Is this a time when I'm supposed to be silent? Is this a time when I'm supposed to speak? Am I supposed to push in? Am I supposed to pull back? That's not easy. These are hard things that Jesus is inviting us to live in, and he's recognizing this is hard. But what he is promising is that he is good, and he loves us, and he loves each of us the same. And as he, he stated earlier, he will not leave us hanging out to dry when our basic needs are, are not being met. Right? If you look at the illustration he gives, is it which it, he does not say, which of you, when his son asked for a BMW and a four-time doubling of his allowance, says no? Right? It, he's asking, the kids are asking for bread and fish. Basic necessities for life. And Jesus is, is resolute and steadfast that God will not leave those unanswered. He will provide what you need. And if you are living this kingdom life, you are not doing it alone. There is a God who loves you, who deeply cares for you, who will walk through this life with you. He loves you so much that he would die on a cross for you. That's the love that God has. Right? Love that is full of mercy and compassion and humility and self-awareness. that would go to a cross on our behalf. That's the love that Jesus has for us. And it's when we understand that that is the love that God has, that he has for all of his children, regardless of circumstance or performance or anything else that we might think factors into the equation, we begin to understand the teaching of verse 12. Jesus says, So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Right? We know this as the golden rule. And I don't know that golden rule is really the best word for it because rule is, again, a part of religion. And it, it brings about this idea of a sense of code, uh, of conduct, things that I have to do to adhere to. And that's not really what Jesus is inviting us to here or in the sermon. Jesus is inviting us to a different way of life, and that's what, what vision is. Vision is the process by which we invite people into a different way of life, a different future. And so I think what this is, it's the golden vision. Jesus is saying that in your relationships with other people, be guided by this principle. As people who are discerning, if you are people 
who are self-aware, who are humble, who want to see the best for the people around you, you will find that your life is governed not by a list of rules, but by a vision that says, what if the world functioned in the way that in every situation, my thought was, if I were her or him, what would I want me to do? Think about that for a second. Try and play out a scenario in your head right now. Someone in your life, in that situation, if I were her or him, what would I want me to do? That's the whole of what Jesus is teaching in our interactions with other people. What is the most loving response we could possibly have for another human being? And then let's live it out. That's the vision of the golden rule, right? Imagine a world in which everyone's process for for discerning their interactions was what would most honor him or her, right? How would our world look if we really lived that out? What would our court system look like if everybody's daily interactions was guided by the notion that I should treat them the way that I would hope they would treat me if our tables were reversed? What would our families look like? Right, the holidays are coming up. (laughs) Lots of fun time with family. What would your family look like if everybody was guided by the idea that that I want to, to treat him or her exactly as I would want her or him to treat me? What would our relationships with our coworkers look like? What would your relationship look like with your manager if every day you went in thinking, I, I'm going to treat her the way that I wish she treated me? What would your relationship look like with employees that report to you if you went in every day thinking, I'm going to treat them how I wish they would treat me? How would companies be governed and structured differently if the approach to business was that the most valuable metric was not price per share valuation, but instead it was the amount of dignity and worth that we gave to the people who worked for us and the customers we served. I think that's a pretty incredible world to live in. It's a world that Jesus invites us to live in with him. Right? It's a world full of people who who are consumed with wisdom and discernment and critical thinking and above everything else, love. Love because we are people who have experienced love ourselves. Right? And if you have not experienced the love of Jesus, I wish you had. I really wish you had. Right? It is a love that, that sees mistakes without condemning. And actually, instead of condemning, it meets those mistakes, those failings, those shortcomings with grace and love and mercy. And and maybe you have never experienced anybody loving you that way. And I want to tell you that Jesus does love you that way. And he invites you into a world in which that's the norm, not the rare, unheard of exception. That's the life that Jesus invites us to. Right, A life that is, that is full of flourishing, healthy, energizing relationships. 
because we've not just been restored with a God above us, but, but that same work that he did in restoring us has made it possible for us to restore our relationship with each other. And so instead of just trying to, to get through and survive our days with each other, we are seeking to serve and love each other because we're critically thinking all day long, what is the will of God? What would it look like for me to really love him or her? What would be the way that I can most effectively bring about the kingdom of God in his or her life? That is an incredible, incredible world that I want to live in. And Jesus invites us to that world. It is an invitation that is open whether you have never said yes to it or you've said yes to it for 50 years. It is an invitation that is open every single day. Do you want to come and follow me? Do you want to learn how to do life the way that I do life? Because there is a right side up world that is just waiting. And it's a world that you can live in for eternity. And so if you want to follow me, if you want to be transformed by me, if you want to join me in the greatest mission ever, and that is making this place like heaven now into eternity, you're welcome. You just have to say yes. There's nothing you do to earn it. There's no, there's no special prayer you pray. There's no performance that you have to do for him to extend it. No, he loves every single one of his kids exactly the same because that's the kind of dad that he is. If you've never said yes to that invitation, you should. Let's be people that live out a golden vision of a much better world, a world that resembles heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being a God who deeply, deeply loves his children. Thank you for being willing to go to any length to have a relationship with us. Lord, I pray for anyone here that that has not said yes to that invitation, to follow you, to learn how to do life with you. May, May they have the courage to just say, yes, I'll try. I'll go with you, Jesus. Jesus, I pray for every person at City Church and and our relationships with the people around us. Whether that's our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. God, may we be people who possess wisdom and discernment. May we be people that think critically, that see gray area, that are able to separate intentions from people good and bad from the people that that carry out actions. God, may we be given your eyes. May we be given your eyes that, that offer grace and mercy and compassion way more than judgment. Lord, may we be people who can bring about heaven here. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.